0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was an incredible achievement. At the age of 52 years old, a Slovenian man named Martin Strell swam the entire length of the Amazon River. Defying the odds, he swam a distance which is actually wider than the Atlantic Ocean. Pretty impressive, isn't it? But if you're like me, you're maybe thinking to yourself how this was even possible because not only would that seem to take a lot of stamina, but because of how dangerous you think the Amazon River would be, right? The Amazon, of course, is full of flesh-eating piranhas, all kinds of different parasites that can make you sick. Malaria, yellow fever, and fearsome, deadly creatures like this. The Amazon River came in. One of the scariest looking, and actually one of the deadliest creatures you could ever run into. I, I, I wouldn't want to find one of those as I'm swimming through the Amazon. Okay, Not to mention the powerful currents that are in the Amazon River. There was actually a moment... When this guy was swimming, when he got, started to get swept away towards a giant whirlpool and almost drowned, it's not really any wonder then, is it, that by the time he finished, he was actually taken by an ambulance to a hospital where they were treating him along the way for uh, trying to stabilize his blood pressure, which was at near heart attack level. Throughout the 66 days that it took to swim the length of the Amazon River, his health slowly deteriorated. He, he experienced nausea, diarrhea, sunstroke, and dizziness, deliriousness, and he just he was almost dead by the time he made it all the way to the end. I think to myself, I mean, I kind of get nauseous just thinking about it, but how could any man do this? Well, not to take anything away from this guy's incredible accomplishment, but you know the answer? He did have some help. Support boats flanked him almost the entire journey, actually dumping, as needed, raw meat and literally buckets of blood into the river, to distract the swarms of hungry, flesh-eating piranhas, which they actually, I guess, had to do on more than one occasion quite frequently, right? And then it was a time that he got swept away and almost drowned, so it's fortunate that if and when the currents were too much, there were people there that could go and rescue him, right? He had support. This guy, Martin Stroud, amazing man, incredible swimmer, no way I could do that, not even close, Incredible achievement, a great struggle, but he wasn't all alone. He had some help. Well, friends, today what we're going to see in God's word is that by way of contrast, our Savior Jesus, he did not. For a time, especially there when he he hung on the cross, he found himself all, all alone. It was a a suffering far worse than swarms of piranhas. It was a struggle far worse than swimming the Amazon. It was a suffering that he had to face all by himself. He had no help from his disciples. He had no help from the Jewish religious leaders. He had no help from the Roman government or from the Roman soldiers. What we're going to see is that for a time he had even no help from God the Father Himself. And you think to yourself, well, how, how could this be that Jesus found Himself completely all alone on the cross? And so, this, friends, is what we are going to consider today that Jesus, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never have to be. Okay? So, we're going to gather together kind of around the cross here today, so to speak, to ponder this really profound truth and and the love of our Savior for us all. I read to you Psalm 22. You you heard already this, this whole psalm that is about our Savior Jesus and what he did. It reminds us, just like we heard, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. There's no one to help. So we come to this this time and place where we see Jesus here on the cross fulfilling in detail every aspect of this this psalm. And we read then in the gospel account of Matthew these two short verses that describe this experience and we hear these words of our Savior. Matthew chapter 7, verses 45 and 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The last couple of weeks, we've heard Jesus speak words of forgiveness, words of compassion for his family and friends. Last week, words of eternal life spoken to a condemned and dying criminal. But this, this is altogether different, isn't it? Here, we listen to Jesus say, why? The darkness, the darkness is our first clue as to what's actually going on here. It tells us that this, this thick darkness, this almost palpable darkness came upon all the land, came over all the land, it says, as if to, to snuff out the light. Right? Throughout the Bible, light is a, a, a symbol of God's favor and God's, and God's blessing. On the other hand, darkness is often a symbol of God's judgment. Like throughout the Old Testament, both the, the major and the minor prophets, they, they describe the great day of the Lord using, using these, this picture of darkness coming upon the earth. In other words, we're meant to consider how darkness is the, the sign of God's judgment against human sin. And how one day the creation itself will manifest the, the creator's wrath upon the sins of all people. The darkness. So in this case, I think the darkness is drawing our attention. Of all the things that we could be considering, all the stuff out there in the world, the darkness draws our attention to what's going on here on this hill of Calvary, right here on the cross. So what's what's going on? Friends, we see the undiluted, full-strength wrath of God poured out upon the Son of God for human sin. What's going on is that all the guilt of every human being is being heaped upon Jesus there on the cross, who himself is, of course, altogether innocent. As the scripture says, he who, who, who had no sin is, is being made sin there on the cross. This is no game of charades. This is no fictional kind of suffering. This is the real deal. This is this is the result. This is human consequences for sin being poured out upon our human substitute, the holy sinless Son of God. It's the punishment that we all deserve. Perhaps a picture will help us to kind of think about this a little bit differently, perhaps to ponder the True nature of Christ's suffering. You can see, of course, this hand outstretched, pierced through with a nail. But as you look a little bit closer, you also see these, these words written across. You could picture covering every square inch. Words like pride, malice, idolatry, adultery, hypocrisy pornography, envy, gossip, deception, greed. In other words, pick a word that describes sin, any sin, your sin. And that's what Jesus is suffering and dying for there on the cross. He has become, in a sense, sin personified. Your sin and mine, all of it, And therefore, God the Father turns his loving attention away from Jesus and leaves him to suffer all alone. Because for sin, there is ultimately hell to pay. There is no other way to satisfy divine justice, but that, that is what Jesus willingly came to do. He came to suffer hell so that you and I wouldn't have to has there ever been such love as this? Again, the scripture tells us in verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabactani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice that. Here in the darkness, Jesus cries out, my God. My God, he doesn't, He doesn't call him Father here. He began calling him Father, his first word from the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them, he prayed. And amazingly, we're going to hear him call Father yet one more time at the very end of it all, but not here and not now, because that loving bond between the Father and the Son has been shattered. And even still, Even still, Jesus does not rebel. He does not complain that this isn't fair, anything like that. Instead, he echoes the cry of that first verse of Psalm 22 that we heard, so that we would know exactly what's going on here, and that is this, that he, the Messiah, is fulfilling the scriptures. He is doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. He is coming to save us. When there is no one else to help. And it is this most profound mystery here, mingled together with this profound suffering that Jesus is experiencing. Because for us, we just we can never understand, right? How God the Father can abandon God the Son, right? When when the two persons of the Trinity are one in essence, God. We can't probe the depths of that with our brains. And we cannot understand how both the Father and the Son could willingly agree to to go through this, this horror of, of hell being experienced for us. Because, of course, we know that the Father loved the Son of his own essence, right? And because we know also that the Son likewise loved the Father and therefore consciously obeyed him every moment of his life from the beginning to the very end but now he is forsaken. He is abandoned by God the Father who had loved him and the one whom the Son always perfectly served and loved too from his heart all the time. But this is truly what it is to suffer hell. To be forsaken by God and cast away from his mercy and love, that is the essence of hell. And it's it's horrible. Of course, those in hell deserve every bit of it. But Jesus, he deserves none of it. Even more, those in hell suffered there because of their sins and unbelief. But Jesus, in his anguish here on the cross, suffers for the sins of the whole world. Think of it, all of it, pressed down upon him, imprinted on him as he in anguish cries out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, you know, Jesus knows the answer. Of course he knows the answer. That's why I think the real question, friends, is do you Do you know why Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, it's because Jesus Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never have to be. This is why Jesus suffers there on the cross. This is why Jesus there is forsaken by the Father. This is why Jesus endures the consequences of hell So that you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus here pays the debt that you owe. His blood washes away the the filth of all our sins. And this is what he wills. This is what he's always willed. From that very moment in eternity, when together with the Father, he came up with this plan of salvation. For you and for me, until this very day, by his spirit, continues to reach out to our hearts to change our sinned hardened hearts, right? To offer you forgiveness. To give you the peace that that surpasses all human understanding. And finally, so that by faith, one day, he can welcome you into eternal paradise. I, I began here telling you about that. That guy, that incredible swimmer, Martin Strell, this dude who uh, who swam the the great lengths of the Amazon River, right? He covered a distance even even greater than the Atlantic Ocean. That's that's awfully impressive. But of course, he did have some help. And really, if you think about it, what what good did it do? I mean, it didn't really help anybody else not even himself. But what Jesus did, what he accomplished on the cross, is in fact he bridged a gap that's even wider than the Atlantic Ocean. He bridged the gap between sinful human beings like you and me and the Holy God to reconcile us to our Father. And what he did there for all, what we could never do on our own, he did it because only he could do it. When there was no one to help, when we, with our good works and all of our, nothing that we could do could help him along, he came and did what we could not because he loves you. He loves you that much. Because Jesus was forsaken, you and I won't ever have to be. Just think only he was qualified to do it only the one who's both fully divine and fully human could fully atone for all our sins and because he was forsaken you and i won't ever have to be and so we might in the course of our lives go through and experience some tough things like like a pandemic like financial shortfalls and difficulties in life, like some frustrations perhaps with our vocation, our work, our our finances, our health. We might be sometimes plagued by self-doubt, criticism, relationship challenges, the relentless temptations of the devil, perhaps even persecution for our faith. But we don't ever have to wonder anymore whether our Heavenly Father is with us. In our weakness, we we might be tempted sometimes to think or feel like we're all alone, like he's forsaken us. Like the children of Israel wandering around the wilderness, we we might be tempted sometimes to grumble and to whine and to complain. We might even be tempted every so often to just feel like we should throw up our hands in despair and, and give up. And perhaps over the past year, it's at times felt like that for some of us, hasn't it? As we've dealt with so many challenges throughout this pandemic. But this one fact remains true. The one thing that we need to get through hardship and pain in 2021 and beyond, the one thing that we need to get through hardship and pain is the presence of the Father. The very thing that we have because of the Son. We have God's gracious presence in our lives through every challenge and every difficulty because of what Jesus accomplished in our place. On that, fro- on that cross a long time ago, God turned his face away from his own Son. So he would never turn his face away from you, from you, and from me. As we wrap this up, do you know what one of my favorite parts of every worship service that we have is? It's actually one of the things that comes like right at the end. It's uh, it's the benediction or the the blessing. You know these words, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and, and give you peace. And many of us who've grown up in church, we've, we've heard these words in public worship over and over again. Or at least we know like these are churchy kind of words, right? But I, I want to I make this point, okay? There is no tentative, like, may... That goes before that. It, really, not, you are not meant to think of it as just a, a pious wish. Like, may the Lord bless you and keep you. It's not even really just a prayer. In other words, the benediction isn't meant to be just a pious wish. It's actually the gift of God's gracious presence conveyed into your life. It's the gift of God's presence bestowed upon you. What I mean to say is the blessing of God actually conveys what it says because of Christ. When God's divine name is placed on his people, he promises his active blessing, his divine protection, his unmerited favor, his lasting peace of body and soul. Friends, because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, you don't ever have to be afraid that one day God's going to cast you away from his presence. You don't have to be afraid that God's going to send you into that place of darkness where there will be, be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because instead, now, your Father looks on you with a smile, He doesn't see anymore your sins. He bestows on you his favor and he gives you his peace. All because Jesus endured hell so that you and I could experience heaven. And one day, no matter what challenges that you face or what crosses you might have to carry or what difficulties you have yet to face here on this earth, one day your heavenly father will say to you who trust in the son, welcome home my child, whom I love. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all our understanding, that peace, guard our hearts and our minds through faith in Christ Jesus until we see him face to face in glory. Amen.